What'd you hit? Just ended. The song ended? Yeah. I mean, you got to go back in and find, like, the long... Not, I mean, you know, while we're on break, while you're... I'm talking, you're on break. <laughs> I've never had that happen. I thought someone got shot and the song died. Yeah, it just, it just stopped for whatever reason. Oh. usually never play it that that's long. That's scary. I don't hope that's not, like, a problem there. But you do your magic... Jack, and we'll be fine there. <laughs> Very well. Good morning. Welcome to Life Unedited. I'm your host, John Aberly. Uh, disclaimer out there, this will be an adult-type show this morning, so if you have kids in the house, uh, maybe even squeamish men, because we're going to be talking about a body part that is, God, life or death for most men, so... Get the kids out of the room, uh, the squeamish men. You guys can go someplace else. And I want to welcome my guest and my friend, uh, Dr. Andrew Kramer, urologist out of Baltimore, urology, uh, Kramer Urology. And he is also considered one of the top three in the world of doing penile implant surgeries or revisions. And that's going to be a pretty big part of the show today as an alternative method for erectile dysfunction, uh, Cialis, and so forth. So we're going to get into a lot of different things, and Dr. Kramer is the perfect person for it. Dr. Kramer, welcome to the show. Thank you, John. Pleasure to be here. I appreciate it. We've been talking about this for a while, so I'm glad we were able to put it together. Um, Let me begin right off the bat. I've always wanted to ask you this anyway. Why urology? I mean, what, what was it in college, going through med school, that made you pick urology? It's a question I get a lot, and i got to say, some things you do in life are well planned out. Some things are, spur of the moment, they turn out to be good decisions. This one was a very last minute. I did not know anything about it. I came from a medical family, and I think I wanted to do surgery. I'm in Baltimore. We got shock trauma. It's a big... So I started doing surgery stuff, and then I just met the folks in urology, and it's a different personality, because you're dealing with personal, sensitive things, as you said. It's sort of fun. You're helping people. It's not cancer and gunshots all day i was just drawn to the people and i like surgery and then you never know where life will take and i started doing specific things in urology as we'll talk about it just evolved i would have never like you might have not known you'd be where you are 20 years ago it just happened same kind of thing but i'm happy it was great but it was a last minute thing that turned out great well i gotta say this and i want the audience to know the men out there that you are one of the most direct polite and energetic doctors I have ever met. Thank you. And Thank, you, you, follow, Thank you, John. Let me tell you, Dr. Graham, I'm serious, and I'm not just saying this because you're my doctor and we're friends. You really are. I mean, it, it, it kind of shocked me a little bit when we first met. You follow up. You ask questions. I mean, I think I even wrote you an email on that. I'm like, where the hell did you come from? Because <laughs> that's not the normal experience uh, with doctors. But, you know, you're dealing, obviously, with men. Um, what's that like? Is it hard to get questions answered when you are talking to them because of the sensitive situation we're talking here about, you know, their penises, their prostates, and so forth? You know, the funny thing is, and um, I think it's easy in a way, because a lot of times when men come in, they were, you know, they're like, well, I, I'm glad I'm talking to a guy, you know, like, and they don't want to bring it up sometimes. They look away from you. They don't make a, they say, you know, I'm having a problem in the bedroom. I'm like, listen, I'm, I'm just, I'm a man. You can tell me what, you know, if I want to examine them and they're shy about taking their pants off. I'm like, listen, I've seen, don't worry. I've seen it before. And most guys look at me and they're like, yeah, this guy probably has talked about it or seen it before. I'm really not, you know, embarrassed around him. And, you know, it's funny because there's, you've got to be very sensitive to all, and I respect this, all these 
you know, gender issues today, Me Too movement and, and patience. You have to be careful with boundary. You know, for me, it just never really worked out to be a concern because I only see men. Men, you know, for me, I don't need a chaperone in the room. You can tell guys <laughs> what you want. It's a very safe environment, to be honest with you, because I've never had anyone say, geez, he made me feel. I mean, we're kind of the same. All the guys, we're in the same boat. I've never examined a woman in the last, you know, 20 years. And for men, I, it's a comfortable situation. So I sort of feel like there's no awkwardness. There's no chaperones. No one ever, you know, and if I need to help a guy sort of, you know, pull the get into position. Yeah. I just do it because there's no issue with them. I mean, we they're sort of like they're either the friend, they're a patient. It's all the same, and we're comfortable with each other. I don't have any sort of uncomfortable issues with patients, which is great. I know it is, and, and I will say this again: you, the way you speak to me, I, and I assume your other patients, you make people feel like you're that they are the only person in the room. And you are, I mean, and, and usually they are, but you're, you are focused on them, their issues. Cause I know when, you know, when I've come down to see you and, and we've you know, talked and everything else, you, I can see you're processing what I'm saying. Yeah. I mean, here's the thing, John. I mean, you know, for me, the part of the job I like, and I'm not selling anything, obviously, we're not in that business, but for me, the parts of the job I, I don't like is the paperwork and the medical legal and all that. But the things I do like is talking to people and chatting, hearing their stories. So that you're talking about something that I like doing, not that I have to do. You know, part of the job that I do like is chatting with you in a room, even if it's an hour after the appointment, because I like hearing your stories and, you know, you're military and I respect it. You know, hearing your, your life and business stories is fun. I mean, trust me, there's parts of the job I don't like. But that's not one of them. Chatting with guys, hearing their story, helping them, that's, that's like the good part, you know? It is, and, and it makes, and I can tell you, uh, from my perspective, it makes you feel a lot more comfortable because you are coming in, you're talking about sensitive issues. There is still a stigma attached to men if they have any problems in the bedroom, if there's problems with, with the prostate. Usually it's the woman in their lives that are pushing them to come in to get into it to see a doctor. Uh, I remember a situation I was in years back, and I was waiting for a doctor, and I remember a guy just got up and left. And I think he was scheduled, I'm not sure what he was scheduled for, but it looked like it was going to be sensitive, because he literally got white, got up, and left. Mm -hmm. And I remember thinking, wow, that's pretty intense. I know... I'm a fairly open person, so I don't let a lot of things kind of dictate how where I'm going to go. But it is, like I said, that the way you handle it, it's important because men inherently are very difficult or at least very shy to deal with. And uh, you know, another one to ask here: what what is with the prostate? In the sense that you hear more and more prostate cancer. Uh, there's a, a, a the prostate becomes enlarged. The man can't urinate. Is this something every man should expect? Are we seeing it more than we did thirty or forty years ago? You know, it's it, men are the same, and we're, we are seeing it more. I will say this: men are, you know, we're behind women in this way because women are are better at lobbying for themselves than men are in a way. Like you hear the 
the race for the cure and the breast cancer and save the, and they're doing the right thing. They're way ahead of us. So yeah, they are. men are not out there marching for erectile dysfunction. We're, for, you know, and and the prostate, you know, prostate cancer is one in eight men. And I'm not a big prostate cancer treatment guy, mm-hmm. but it's as common as breast cancer. But you know, men don't talk about it. You know why? Because there's a, a rectal exam involved in examining a prostate. And everyone yeah. knows it. Everyone knows as soon as you get your prostate checked, you've got to get a a, a rectal exam. And, and men. And, and if you get treated for prostate cancer, it's erectile dysfunction. And, you know, men are not out there. Now, there's a few men out there talking about it. The Who was the one? Uh, Bob Dole. Or some uh, other yeah, Bob Dole was there were, doing that. We're yeah. public about it. But you're not seeing it widespread. I mean, you're not seeing the men's march for prostate or erectile dysfunction the way that women are. And they are leading the – men are still too shy, and they're not their best own advocates for – sensitive issues right now. I mean, you are for other things, but not for this. And the prostate stuff is common, but men are inherently very macho or shy. Not all men, but some are. A lot of times a woman, their wife is yeah. like, listen, go to the doctor. Are you crazy? You're, you know, my husband's being so stubborn. I dragged him here. You see that a lot. Men are just sort of uh, I know the role is to be the strong, silent sort of type, but men don't like to admit that they've had to get a rectal exam, that they've had to be treated for prostate cancer. So I think more men are going to do it in the future, but it's prostate cancer is like one in eight human beings, which is a lot of people, and enlarged prostate is like half of men over the age of 60. So you're talking very common stuff here, John. Yeah, yeah, and it's funny you mention how women take an issue and take control of it, because when I... Uh, do the color here for the high school football games every year around breast cancer awareness everyone's wearing pink and i say the same thing every year we need to start sponsoring and i joke about it too though we need to right. get some men in but we need a prostate cancer type of uh you know club going and i'd like to use the color like neon green because they have the right. pink for the women i mean i joke about it but i'm also serious um with you know with with uh, the penis with erectile dysfunction. It's all about blood flow, isn't it? Yeah, and, and there's one more thing I'll add to yeah, the last please. point you made. You know, there's a, there's a term called, I'm sure everyone knows the term impotence, for yes. example. You mm-hmm. know, it's a term for erectile dysfunction. Impotence, it's, so, it's such a crazy derogatory term. You would never use this in other fields. But, you know, the term literally means, like, powerless. I'm impotent. Yeah. You know, the guy loses his erections. He's not powerless. He just has a medical condition. It's a shame that we stigmatize it so much because, you know, a lot of men are like, I'm impotent. It's like, no, you're not powerless. You just have one organ in your body not getting blood flow. To your point, it is a blood flow thing, but that's really all it is. It's the, the history of erectile or sexual function in men was go see the psychiatrist or you're not powerful enough. You're not, you know, your role has been reduced, but usually it's a blood flow thing. I, I mean, you know, there's a few other ways but I would say 90, there's nerves that have to go there, but that's usually intact. You know, you need hormones like testosterone, but that's usually intact. The thing that limits men is going to be blood flow, blood in, and it's the same for your heart. You know, when you get older, you can't do the same sort of cardiac workout that you could when you were 20, and we all know that. And um, But your penis is relying on tiny little blood vessels, little ones. You know, it's not like your leg or your arm. I mean, you need little microvascular things and when you get older your reserve and your ability to force blood your body's going to prioritize do we feed the heart yep. do we feed the brain and they're going to always get fed first you know in your body they're going to they're going to eat for any of your arms and your legs your penis is not going to be your body's number one priority to feed these tiny blood vessels and they're going to suffer if you don't 
um, have good blood flow. I would agree with you, John, at the blood flow thing. Yeah, no, yeah you, know, you made a great point there about, uh, you know, the body's going to compensate. They're going to go and take the blood and the flow, and they're going to go to the bigger organs. They're going to make sure your heart, your kidneys, your liver, your brain's functioning because that's the primary things that are needed to live. Um, what's the biggest thing men can do so they don't have to deal with or it cuts their chances of dealing with erectile dysfunction? Would it be smoking still? You know, I think it's a big... Smoking is easily the most preventable. But I would say, I I don't know in real world, you know, if you travel around the world, you're going to see smoking is huge. I think in the U.S. with these smoke-free restaurants and hotels, which I like because I grew up, my father was a smoker, and Mm. it drove me absolutely nuts. And I never smoked a cigarette. So for me, I have trouble sort of understanding the cigarette thing. But I do, I I think one thing I would say is bigger, and I can understand this too, is just keeping your weight reasonable and keeping your weight down. That's got to be the biggest lifestyle thing. Now, yeah, some public health person might prove me wrong after the show. They might be right. But I think that if you keep your weight down, that's kind of a window into, and John, I know you're you're completely muscular and ripped, and you've got, I know I've examined you, and you've got great, um, <laughs> great shape, but I don't know anyone else that is of our age that is able uh, to do that. And for it. me, you know, you see, you know, eating is a sort of, your brain tells you it wants it, it's good, it's survival, and it's very, very hard when you get older to stay in shape and keep your weight down. But the more weight you have on, the more burden on your heart, and the more the penis suffers. I've got to believe that's the biggest thing. I'm going to go with you on that. We're going to pick that up. We're going to roll into our first break, Doctor. We're going to come out, and we're going to get a little bit more into the meat of the situation. You are listening to Life Unedited. I'm your host, John Averly. Today, my guest is Dr. Andrew Kramer, urologist out of Baltimore, Maryland. We'll be right back. The behind-the-scenes reason why it's happening. Welcome back to Life Unedited. I'm your host, John Aberly. Disclaimer here, real quick. This is an adult-type program today. We are discussing men's health issues, one of them being the most important body part to men, their penis. And we are discussing erectile dysfunction in particular. So if the kids are in the room, squeamish men are sitting there as well. Everyone, go and then now we will come back to the discussion. My guest today is Dr. Andrew Kramer. He is a urologist out of Baltimore. He is also considered one of the top three doctors in the world regarding penile implants and erectile dysfunction. And I, there is a website or a blog site I want to suggest called franktalk.com. It's not sanctioned by anyone but it is a very interesting blog site. It discusses erectile dysfunction issues, very much into the penile plant issues. And if you read that, there's a lot of knowledge. I did a lot of reading this week to kind of get myself up on that. And uh, just tremendous, the, the respect that Dr. Kramer has. Now, doctor, leading into this now, uh, most men, it, it's a health issue as we just said, it's a blood flow issue. It's not a psychological issue in 99% of the cases as what was thought years ago. Um, so do you start off with, we're going to go through the progression here. Do you start off with the little blue pill and Cialis and all that? Is that the beginning of trying to deal with an erectile dysfunction issue? Uh, 
Yes, it is, although I will add, it's interesting. I do think it's always a blood flow thing, but you can't underestimate, and people always say, John, oh, the biggest sex organ is going to be your brain, and I do kind of believe that that's a component, and stress in your life or partner issues or all the things associated with your erection, it does matter. I think the mindset, the psychology of it, the relationship piece or how anxious you are going in or what your expectations are, how attracted are you Mm -hmm. to what partner, those things matter greatly. I mean, I think your kidneys or heart give you a very objective. You do a stress test, you get your answer. Erections differ. I mean, what one person expects and wants, what another person expects and it's variable. One time someone says, you know, I don't know why it's so good for one period of time, and then it's so bad, and what they mean. So I do think the mind is very intimately intertwined with erections, but I don't think that the man that has erectile dysfunction, it's all in his head. I don't want to say that. Uh, you know, but you gotta you can't underestimate the psychology of it, if that if that makes sense. No, no, no. You know no. what I mean? I'll agree with you. It's, and, it's and interesting. Maybe I'll yeah. put it on this level. Maybe there is something going on or, or wasn't going on. It just happened to be a bad night or a situation. Right. But it's kind of like a baseball player. Next thing you know, you're 0 for 30. Right. And you're in a slump you can't get out of. That's when I think it becomes psychological. Exactly. And, yeah, and you know. it's funny. Yeah, you're right. I mean, it just depends. And, you know, a lot of people, when you dig into erectile function, they mean different things. Some people mean, and again, for the audience, you know, I'm sorry, but, uh, you know, <laughs> premature ejaculation. Yeah. Or some people say, you know, my sensitive or my partner just doesn't doesn't like this or that. I mean, it, it, it can mean so many things. And there's a multifactorial approach. There can be a... Psychologist, like sex therapists, there could be medical people, there could be diabetes experts or heart experts. I mean, all that stuff can, you know, a neurologist if, if nerves are not working. So it is an interesting thing, and I by all means do not do every aspect of, but like all things in medicine, it is such a complicated, and some people think your erections are a window into your health, overall health, yeah. or your soul, or your mind. I, I don't know the answer to that, but I do start with easy and go to hard, like in, in all in all things. And I do start with the pills, which were, I think, invented in around 96 or 97, somewhere in that ballpark when Viagra came out. Yeah, it was discovered accidentally yeah, it when was. They were trying to treat blood pressure. And men were coming back into the study to get refills. They had no idea why. And it turned out that it was affecting their erection. So the pills came out, like all things, just by accident. And they've been so-called blockbuster yeah. drugs, which I think means more than a, a billion dollar in sales per year. So these things are legit. And I would always start with them. Yeah, I do, John. You know, it's as you touched on, we kind of touched on health a little bit and go back for a second. Diabetes, major, major cause of a lot of bodily issues. But I, from what I read and understand, Major player in erectile dysfunction. One of the things that a man needs to get under control, if he can, uh, and a lot of times if he can, it will bring back that function. So diabetes, which is becoming more prevalent, it seems, every year just because of how we eat and take care of ourselves. Uh, do you see a lot of men that come in with diabetes? I would say yes, but it would, it's, you know, when you do these sort of studies of, of different populations, I think that it's intertwined with the other big things. And the biggest risk factor for erectile dysfunction, independent risk factor, independent of other things, is age. Meaning, you know, when you or me were 18, you know how you feel. You're bulletproof. I have nothing <laughs> oh, yeah. affects you. You know, you, are, you can – so your margin of error is just, is just huge at that point. 
and you get to be 40, and anyone that's 40 knows they don't feel like they did when they were 25. I mean, you feel good, but you're, and when you're 65, you can't be like you were when you were 40. Age is an independent risk factor, and so is, you know, diabetes. But diabetes, heart disease, weight control, age, they're all a little bit intertwined, and diabetes is going to go along with weight, you know, control and, and diet. Not always, I know that. But um, but those are the big ones that are sort of all intertwined. Of course, prostate cancer is the great equalizer because that can be the healthiest 45-year-old thin marathon runner against prostate cancer. That's going to be the exception there. Once yeah, you, you get your prostate that. removed or radiated, all bets are you're going right at the nerves and blood supply to the penis. So that's a different one. So, so, that, so that's the, the reason. That's the reason with prostate, because, you know, you hear prostate cancer, you hear prostate issues, you see men's faces like, oh, you know, what you know, what does that mean? Why is the prostate so important to how the penis functions? I mean, I know if you remove the prostate, it radically changes everything. I guess it's on the same level as a hysterectomy is for a woman. It is, except there's two, there's a few differences, but you're, you're right, it's blood flow to the pelvis. And the thing about the prostate, I mean, you think about why men are afraid to get it treated. What worse can you do to a man when you think about it to make him impotent and incontinent of urine? You're leaking urine, wearing a diaper, and having a limp, you know, penis. Yeah, yeah. You can't think of anything more disfiguring to him. So the analogy, again, and I don't mean to offend anyone, of course, but breast cancer, you know, you remove a breast, and I know it's disfiguring, but you have a breast augmentation, reconstructive surgery. A woman, to a large degree, can be made whole again, and I understand that there are you know, the all the cosmetic issues. But a man, it's not cosmetic. It's functional. You're making a man leak urine in many cases and have erectile dysfunction. It's far more disfiguring for a man to have his prostate removed than other sorts of surgeries that other people have. And the issue, as you said, John, the blood flow to the penis, those nerves and blood vessels run right through it. And while surgeons can, I don't do prostate cancer surgeries, while Doctors have gotten better at sparing the nerves and sparing the blood vessels. It will radically change the whole configuration. And and the analogy to women, I, I, again, I, as a men's advocate, I'm going to say removing the uterus or hysterectomy in women is not as profound because a woman's function is different than a man. So a woman, well, you know, while the you know the vagina and the genitalia still work. There may be blood flow issues. There may be arousal issues. But a woman can function without any man knowing, you know, yeah. he could be none the wiser. But a, but a man without an erect yeah. penis is going to clearly be exposed for having erectile dysfunction. He can't hide that fact from anyone. And that is the core basis of a man's function. If he has a soft penis, can't perform, he can't really get away from that. That's going to be the, the, the primary means of his functioning. And the prostate removed... Um, you know, with women, there can be more sensitivities or arousal issues. For men, it goes right up to the function issue. It's a, it's a direct hit on function. So very disfiguring, the prostate treatments. Well, you know, it, it psychologically affects a man. I mean, there's the embarrassment, the letdown. There's all of this, and it's psychological. And, you know, women have support groups for breast cancer, and I agree with what you were saying. Uh, they've come a long way with, you know, uh, augmentation for women, and these are great things. But women have those support networks. Um, men I was blogging with, men I've talked to, there's, a, there's an isolation they feel when something like this happens. And they, they tend to isolate themselves from the woman in their life. It starts to affect their work. 
it starts to affect uh, some I, one guy I blogged with it affected him so badly he actually isolated himself from his kids yeah. like there was yeah. no connection to him or his family his wife well, I mean everything became kind of robotic he yeah, just well, wasn't there the theme and you know a man has to look in the mirror everyone does but a person looks in the mirror and they have a sense of self-worth and you know you base it on your job sometimes in the states or your family or how you feel about yourself and i mean i i just tell you from the years of experience that the men when they lose their erections just don't feel the same as they did before they don't interact it's so funny um, i wouldn't say funny but interesting how you know partners or wives say you know he just treats me differently you know he just he was better when he was potent he was confident he was he would come home he was nice to me and now he's just He's just a shell of who who he was, and I know he, you know, I told him it's okay, it's fine, we can be friends and cuddle and <laughs> hold hands, and, and you hear that, and the man's like, I don't want that. That's Back to the friend zone, before. that's middle school. Back to the friend zone again. <laughs> I don't yeah, think I want to be regulated. I don't want to hear that, and no. a lot of men, they just... They, they release that anger internally or to others around them. And, you know, a lot of women say he got his, say he got treated with pills or a penile implant. And they're like, you know, he just flipped. He's like confident again. I got the guy back. I don't know what he just feels. He's got his mojo back or, you know, and it's funny because a couple goes on vacation and they're 65 years, 70 years old. They may not be having relations once a day like the 20-year-old college student or whatever it is. But, you know, that one week on vacation, let's say they do have sex once. It changes the whole complexion, right? Still, then they're not friends. Then the man, they've completed, and they're intimate. And to this couple, that one event is very transformative. And it's a very big, it's a difference between just being friends, the middle school thing, and the couple <laughs> where the man is able to complete the act, and he feels that the woman views him differently as a potent man. There's a big, there's a powerful difference for that potency word again. There's a powerful difference for men who their self-esteem is going to be tied up with many factors, but potency is one of them. Well, you know, um, women, just to let you know what you probably already do know, we are the weaker sex. We are the ones that do need support. When we're pulling away, you need to come to us. We might not have the greatest communication skills, but if you care about us, if you love us, you got to make that move. You can't expect the man in your life to read your mind or vice versa. The best thing you can do is educate yourself, and that goes for men as well concerning their women, on any issue that your partner's having. It just makes things a lot better. We're going to take our second break, Doctor. We're going to come back, and we're going to get... Now we're really going to get into some of the other things that I want to discuss, penile implant and so forth. You're listening to Life Unedited. I'm your host, John Averly. Today, my guest is Dr. Andrew Kramer, urologist out of Baltimore. We'll be right back. Hey, hit the wrong button. Welcome back to Life Unedited. I'm your host, John Averly. Today, my guest is Dr. Andrew Kramer. He is a urologist out of Baltimore. He is also considered one of the top three doctors in the world when it comes to penile implants, and that is where we're going to go in this next segment. Now, doctor, you know, you were saying this. a man comes in, problems with erectile dysfunction, the standard today is to go to the blue pill or Cialis, and I have no idea why they're sitting in bathtubs 
during the commercials, separate bathtubs. No one's ever explained that to me to me yet. But that's the Cialis. Yeah, that's the Cialis. Got that marketing thing, but it was a huge. It was good for them. Oh, it I was. No, they were holding hands in a bathtub. It was a big. Um, yeah. I don't understand marketing, so I'm not in business. But I'll tell you something. That was actually a successful campaign. There That's why they I don't did. know. You know, sometimes in, in working in, in sales and marketing, sometimes it's the offbeat thing that people remember. Because obviously I remember the bathtub and the two people holding hands. You do, too. So it, whatever they did has worked because it's stuck in our minds. So man comes in. He, he's using the, the medication. Now, they might have interactions uh, antidepressants can be problems, blood pressure medication. Sometimes the erectile medication just stops working. Is that correct? Yeah. I mean, there's just a point that um, little treatments are going to work. And it's funny because those pills are even used in recreationally, and I would say safely, in younger men, men in their 20s, college age, because they will give you a boost. I mean, it's like putting yourself on steroids but in a safe way uh then giving yourself so if you're pretty potent and you're happy with your college you know age performance or medical school probably you know, you're 25 or 26 you'll be even happier with how the pills work and you know it's funny they can be used safely that way i don't think there's any there's no wearing off effect like if you take a narcotic you need more and more and more to get the same relief you don't it's not true with viagra or cialis you know you can take it it works every time there's no wear off effect and in fact i would say it's a use it or lose it. So you get more blood flow. The more Viagra you take, there can be a rehabilitative. And I promise I don't work to speak for these companies <laughs> at all. But there's a rehabilitative sort of use of those of those medications. So I don't think there's much um, bad. If they work, great. If you're already functioning pretty good, they'll make you better. But, of course, there is a point where if you have enough hits against you with age, maybe yeah. it's prostate cancer, but then the pills will not work. You're right. You have to go to the next level. Now, some some disorders are are just related to the penis that can cause issues. I wanted to ask you, what is uh, Peroni's disease? What is that about with men? I mean, we might know it as curvature of the penis, but what really is it? Yeah, I, I would say that Peroni's disease is a deformity of the penis. So, uh, you know, the surrounding structure of the penis is... Uh, called the corpora. It's like a thick envelope that surrounds the bit. Now, you know, men can get deformities that vary in a million different ways. There can be curves. In fact, most people don't have a perfectly straight penis. It can curve up is the most common one, the upward curve. But some people have curves that are unfavorable, down, left, right, or there's a big lump of scar tissue in the middle. There could be some irregularities or even some, we call it Coke bottling or wasting effect, an hourglass effect of the penis is common. Uh, so those are all known as penile deformities, and do they go hand-in-hand hand with erectile dysfunction? Yeah, you bet. Now, something's related, again, to blood flow. Can you explain, and, and I learned this during reading this week here, venous, is it venous leakage? Yeah. What, what yeah, is that related I, I to the blood penis? Blood flow with the penis, it's such a complicated organ because, you know, with the heart, when the heart fails, you need to get a bypass, let's just say, or more blood flow equals better heart function. And that, that model has worked, and people have had these triple bypasses or stents, and that's great. But with a penis, you know, that doesn't work because just pumping more blood in the penis at all times doesn't, doesn't work. You need blood on demand, 
and then you need to trap it there. You need to keep it there. So it's so much more complicated than just doing, of course, there's never been a bypass for the penis. It's so hard to, there's never been a real transplant for the penis. There's never, because I guess men are, you know, cursed with having the most complicated organ of all time. It's got to work. You've got to have the urination part of it. You've got to have blood in just on demand, and then you've got to trap it. So there's so much going on. Um, yeah, and part of it is blood in, and then if the part you said is the venous leak. So if blood comes in and it leaks right out, it's not going to work. And the venous leak is one of those in the category of blood flow issues. There's only two of them, arterial blood sufficient, and two is the venous leak. Blood won't stay in. And, and you see, it doesn't even matter which of the two it is. The treatments are the same. But you're right when you make that distinction that it's a complicated organ. You need blood to come in and stay in. Having said that, um, a lot of men want to get into the details and know which of the five. You know, I want to specify there's still the menu of treatment options that today is not different based on which blood flow disorder it is. But you do you do bring up the good point. Yeah, if I understood, I was reading, uh, kind of shocked with the, with the venous leakage in this sense. It was described as... Say you have a water balloon, and the balloon is full, but there's a pinhole in the balloon. So, therefore, right. the, the blood flow is leaking out just like the water does. And if there's not enough blood flow to compensate for the leakage, then that's when you start to have issues. And I guess that leads right into, into the penile implant situation. So that would be pretty much one of those things where you start to look at the penile implant, uh, you know, men coming in. I mean, it starts to get to that point. When did penile implants start to happen? When was the, the implants themselves invented? Uh, I assume they taught you that at some point. When did that begin, and how has it progressed? So uh, the penile implant, so we were talking about the menu of options, mm-hmm. and we were talking about the pills and you can talk about other stuff. The penile implant was invented, I know this year because it's 1973, I was born that year. <laughs> so supposedly that was the year they were invented, and at that point, the implants have obviously evolved a bit. But um, it's a surgery. Uh, it's a quick surgery these days. It can be an in-and-out thing, but it's basically to replace what was the inner workings of the penis was filling up with blood. You can put something else in that space that takes up the space. It won't absorb the... Uh, blood, so you can put in implants. They can take various forms, which we'll probably get into. Yep. And um, and uh, so, yeah, we can get into the types. Yeah, well, I mean, so, okay, the, what, again, research here I'm going to go with, semi-rigid. What does that mean? What type of implant is that? So the semi-rigid, quite simply, is like two pipe cleaners in the penis. And I only know the pipe cleaner we talked about earlier because my dad was a smoker and I knew what they were. But I think the the audience knows what what I mean by that, mm-hmm. even though they don't you don't see them anymore. They're two sort of or gumby, two bendable rods. They're inside the penis. They bend up and they bend down. The penis is hard all the time, so you can fold it into a favorable position if you're out, like socially. It doesn't point out all the time. And uh, this is very easy to put in surgically. And the semi-rigid is... It, you know, it's funny. It sounds like a more primitive device, like who would get it? And that was the first thing that was out there as men learned they could just put hard rods in the penis and it would work. But interestingly, and I don't know if you know this, John, mm. but they actually predominate in the rest of the world outside of the U.S. I so, read that. South America and parts of Europe. 
Well, they want it. There's two things. One, doctors don't know. They just don't have the cost and the sophistication to put in these inflatable models that we only have in the U.S. And the second thing is men in other countries, frankly, don't care to go through what would be a bigger, slightly, but still a slightly bigger surgery with a little bit more moving parts. When men, and most places give me the message, they are sort of like, well, the semi-rigid is easy. I bend it up, I bend it down. What's wrong with that? I can't argue with that. It's a tried and true surgery that probably is not going away because most of the world and men, especially in male-dominated cultures, they just say, well, I don't have a need to you know, be soft the rest of the I don't mm. I can fold it down and it's easy. I never need it replaced. So um, there, there are places where the semi-rigid sounds ridiculous in the United States where everyone wants the inflatable or three-piece implant. But the semi-rigid in the world is still going strong. You just wouldn't know it in the U.S. because our technology and finance, you know, health care is so different here that men demand the best. And they should. It's, High tech. It's, it's, semi-rigid is, is so big in the rest of the world. High tech. Now, with the semi-rigid, now we'll compare it to the most updated models you have. They are the three-piece implant. There is more going on. There's there's um, uh, reservoirs. There's this, there's that. There's a higher chance for infection. Give us a little bit about what you have to deal with with a three-piece implant. The three-piece implant, fortunately, the risks have also been uh, reduced to almost nothing, but there's more moving parts. So there's the three-piece implant has the following parts. There's an, you know, it's complicated. So there's a uh, pump in the in the scrotum, like a third testicle that just pumps the thing up. Okay. There's two sort of cylinders inside the erectile chambers of the penis. There's a little reservoir back in the pelvis. So when you pump it, the fluid goes between the reservoir and the chambers of the penis, or the cylinders, via the pump, which is the middleman between the two. So it goes reservoir to the penis. And then when you squeeze a button, it goes back from penis to reservoir. The pump has an inflate button and a deflate button. This surgery still, even though we're, you know, we're sort of saying it's more complicated, still in my hands at least a 15-minute surgery, hmm. I would say with an infection rate of less than 1 in 500 and day surgery, man can use it in a month. Um, but, you know, there is more certainly in people that don't do them as much or in general. There still is a breakage rate. There still is an infection rate, and um, there's more going on there, but obviously the man has the, the the control to make this penis completely soft because there's the reservoir and completely hard because, again, you've got all that fluid reserve, and the pump makes it socially more acceptable because it can make it totally, you could be in a locker room, no one know you had it, and you can pump it up and make it fully hard. You don't have the all-the-time hardness of the semi-rigid. Yeah, which I can understand. There might be an embarrassment factor to that. Uh, if you have the semi-rigid, it could be more noticeable. Now, within the implant community and the three-piece type of implants, there appears to be two players, bigger players, and <laughs> you can't play on words there by accident. Uh, Coloplast makes a Titan, and AMS, I believe I'm calling this right, the 700. Now, AMS was the first to come out with an implant, if I'm correct, and that was 1973. But these are your two biggest options. Um, can you explain a little bit of the difference? What would be, what do you prefer, or does the, does the patient make the choice? How do you work this? What's the benefits? What's the disadvantages? You're right. There are two brands out there. There is the Coloplast, the Titan at the Danish company. There's also the 
American Medical Systems was bought by Boston Scientific, and they make a notable brand known as the LGX or Length Girth Expansion Device. Uh, the Cold Class makes the Titan. AMS, the AMS or Boston Scientific was the first to market, and they their their big strength, I would say, would be again AMS brand would be it's coated with antibiotic. It's impregnated. I mean, it comes out of the box coated with an antibiotic, hmm. and um, and they've had the, the the rights or the patent for that for years. And it's a nice, soft, natural device. The Titan came along later, and this is a heavy duty, thick, solid device. Some would argue maybe even too hard. It's almost crinkly in the soft state, but it's going to offer men more more girth and hardness, um, but not the antibiotic control necessarily, though you can mitigate that with dipping it in antibiotics. So both are good devices. I don't have a specific preference. I mean, I've used so many thousands of both. I love to let patients decide um, as long as they're deciding on real good knowledge. I mean, because you, you mentioned Frank Talk, which is terrific, an absolute resource. But some of the stuff that people come with questions are, they're not bad questions. They're just, I have to adjust it and say, well, you, you know, just make sure you know what you're, what you're asking. For example, the infection rate's comparable between the two, and hardness is comparable. Some people say, well, one is drastically better, but patients that have one tend to believe They've got the best one or the worst, you know, so you just got to take all the emotion out of it. They're both very good, almost equal devices. Now, it was interesting. You just mentioned the AMS, the LGX, that it can be an expansion of the penis, which, let's face it, men have been waiting around for that kind of surgery for years. Women have had breast augmentation surgeries to go up in size, down in size. Men have been waiting for this moment. It's the... the um, the AMF, the LGX that does this, what makes that different compared? Because I understand the Titan, yes, you if you cycle, and we'll get into that in a minute, you can achieve maybe a little bit more length, definitely girth. What makes the LGX different? Uh, you know, I would almost say it's not much different, mm-hmm. and, I, and I don't mean to demean the company. It's a great device. But both companies would love to offer more of anything, more length, more girth. And unfortunately today there is a few people offering so-called penile enlargements. But if you look in the Internet, you're going to see that quickly most of these offerings are not legitimate or they're a little in this sort of shady underworld of offering, you know, penile enlargement stuff. And, you know, most men know what I'm talking about. If you look and you're looking for board-certified you know, U.S. doctors, you're going to see me and a few other guys operating in university settings or other such places. You might see some guys offering, and again, penile enlargement, when you think about it, the penis has nerves and blood vessels, and how could you really just stretch it by, but not affect all the other stuff? It just doesn't really make a ton of sense. So because of that, in 2018, there is, I'll go on record and say, there's no real credible way to enlarge the penis. And as soon as someone thinks of it, if I think of it, if you think of it, John, we're going to be <laughs> oh, we got money. many times over. Unfortunately, I don't mean and no one else seems to have it down because nobody really has done it yet. And I know this because no and anyone would quickly take over the market. So the implant companies certainly have latched on a bit because they have to be careful with what they claim a bit to the enlarging issues. The LGX expands in girth when you inflate it but only with the confines of the penis. I mean, so if it's size to the maximal dimensions of the penis, it's, it is what it is. The Titan may be claiming more 
girth, but they are also confined by the penis. So I would say both are good devices. Neither is giving more of anything that relates to length and girth. And I'm not saying that they're not good. There just is no winner with providing more of it, no matter what their name is or what their claim is. Both companies are making the claims, but both are equal in the fact that they're good devices but not offering length or girth. Now, that, that's interesting because one of the possible excuse me, drawbacks to a penile implant, and it doesn't seem to be with the semi-rigid one, it seems to be more with the three-piece one, is that a man could lose some length. Um, it appears that when the surgery is first done, that does happen. But over time, swelling, everything's changed. The man cycles. Again, we'll get into that in a second. What are the odds that a man will lose a little bit of length in the overall picture, say, two years from that moment when they have the surgery? You know, I truly believe that, and uh, I'm going to tout maybe the higher volume surgeons out there. It's not just that's you. I, mean, I want to say that. It, yeah, you're a high volume guys, surgeon. And I think that if you measure appropriately, so let me put it this: mm. if a surgeon doesn't do it appropriately, and and you know, I don't. I say this because I don't do all surgeries either. You know, I don't do prostate cancer because I probably don't wouldn't do as good a job as the guy that does a lot of it. I but I do. If you have a surgeon that does penile implants a lot, he's going to push the envelope. He's going to get your tips all the way to the tip of the penis. He's going to maximize your size. But certainly if a surgeon does less, his most conservative move, he's going to be most nervous about injuring the penis, and he's going to be most sort of concerned with pushing the envelope with length. That's where the danger comes in in the surgery for the novice surgeon. So. People that don't do it a lot will shorten the penis, and I I hate to say it, but I think we're all going to have to get better at penile implant surgery to push the envelopes that we're all giving men exactly what they came in with, but a fact of life is some men lose length. But they shouldn't, though. With a a well-placed implant, the man should not lose length. But as you said, swelling has to go down, scar tissue has to go away. It's a process, and men will usually get there in my hands, within a month or six weeks. That's my hope. Wow, that's pretty good. Again, I, every, Frank Talk was very honest about that. Again, franktalk.com. Uh, we're not sanctioning the blog site, but we are saying there's some information there. Uh, it was basically stated you want a high-volume surgeon. You are a high-volume surgeon. How many of these surgeries do you do a year? How many implants? You know, it's funny, John. You probably want a high-volume anything, to be honest. I mean, I, I agree. want a high-volume guy working on my car. Right? I, I mean, I, I just think it just helps. I, I don't, you know, I think any anyone that does, you know, hopefully you never need a root canal. or But I would just go to the guy that does it a lot because it sort of makes sense. And I, you know, I do do over 300 or 350 a year, which is several, you know, thousand in my life. But I started out at one point, and... It took me time to develop those those skills and that and that experience. So I think that it's it's good to question your surgeon and ask him, Hey, do you do it a lot? And if you don't, would you recommend someone that does it a lot? I don't mean that in a disrespectful way, but I think people have a right to ask how many cars someone's fixed, how many root canals they've done, and penile implants are very nuanced. And I think you you're dealing with something sensitive like your penile size. I think it's worth just making sure that you can vouch for your surgeon and that he has your best intentions in mind and knows what you're thinking best way i think i could look at that you own a ferrari you don't take it to midas you take it to a ferrari dealership you take it to a specialized mechanic midas cannot handle your ferrari but the yeah, ferrari I, I dealership do agree can. With you. i think customer service is important too 
and I, you know, I've, I've brought uh, an imported car here or there to some of these dealers, and they, they don't treat you as well as some of the small. So, I, you know, it's a trade-off. And, you know, um, some some patients of mine, I, I do get to know them, and I'm not the only one, but I think having a rapport with your physician, I don't know, some doctors, and, I, you know, they, they sort of treat their whole life with this sort of rigidness and a distance from, I like sort of sharing stuff with patients, and I, it helps me get to know them and it helps patients so you know find a physician that you like and find a physician that can get the job done i think they're they're both important real quick because we're going to come up a couple minutes here but i wanted to make sure the men out there understood this with the implant surgeries either the semi-rigid or the three-piece the sensitivity continues to stay the same for the most part correct yeah the big questions the big three are and i tell people before they ask because they're going to ask Sensitivity, same, and orgasm, ejaculation, same, and size, the same. Those are the big three. And, you know, they're important. A lot of men are, don't realize that, I mean, what would a guy give up? I don't think a guy wants to give up all the climax of the experience. I mean, it's, it's important to men, and they don't give it up. It's completely uh, intact. It's totally uninvolved. Those are nerves that I don't, I don't affect, I don't operate on. So the, those three, size, orgasm, and sensitivity, the big three, those are the ones that are intact. That's good. Now, what does the future hold? With a couple minutes left, what does the future hold for men who are living with, suffering with erectile dysfunction? Do the implants get better with time? Are they going? Is there new medication in the pipeline? What do you think is the future? You know, I don't know. I think there's two big things I would say. One is, and I, I may be wrong about this, and if I am, then, you know, <laughs> I think there's going to be something new in the medication pathway, something more sophisticated, like stem cells or some, some sort of medication that holds this sort of fountain. You know, stem cells are these things that people are getting out of the umbilical cords or getting out of placenta. And I think there is something to it, although people are injecting stem cells right now with very minimal success. One day we're going to have something that is bigger than just giving a drug for blood flow. We're going to give something that reverses all the sort of fixes the architecture of the penis, builds new blood vessels, fountain of youth type stuff. Are we there yet? I don't know. Some people say we are. And with the but I don't know. I'm not doing stem cell injections as a disclaimer. I don't I'm just hearing about it. And two is maybe these implants are going to get little little battery packs. They'll be, you know, a sort of power source. Right now they're hydraulic. You have to squeeze the pump. And patients say, well, don't you have a battery or don't you have a little motor in there? Yeah, one day I think we're going to have higher sophistication of little batteries and power sources that are going to power these things. Excellent. Dr. Andrew Kramer has been my guest today. He's a urologist out of Baltimore, Maryland. He is one of the leading top three experts, surgeons in penile implants. His website is KramerUrology.com. And, Doctor, I appreciate you being on today. And uh, believe it, sensitive topic. I think we handled it well. And you're welcome back on anytime. Hey, thanks. It was great chatting with you and your audience, John. Thank you Appreciate so much. Appreciate it, Doctor. Good rest of the weekend. This is Life Unedited. I'm your host, John Aberly. I will be back again next week.